Thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, this is part of a series of Meet the Leaders where I have uh, taken upon myself to ask a series of brilliant people who stand up for their communities, lead their communities in the role of a leader of a council to talk about their work and to open the door to what goes on behind the scenes. For many of us, uh, the bin collection, the cleaning of uh, the leaves from the streets uh, are just some of the things that we think are going on in local authorities. When we need help, when we need something different, when we want to do something, then we start to find that actually local authorities have a much more active and involved role in our daily lives and our communities. So here's the leader for the World Women's Day, and it is Linda Hazy, who is the leader of East Hearts District Council. And Linda, thank you for joining me. Pleasure. And you've been a councillor since 2005, and you were leader from... 2000 and um, I, I'm 15. Yeah. So uh, I've done nigh on 18 years and I will have been leader for eight years when I step down later in May this year. Well, let's go back. What made you stand in 2005? What got you <clears throat> to take upon yourself to be uh, a councillor in the first place? I had a phone call from a friend, and she is still a friend, uh, to say that uh, the local district councillor in my the area where I lived, my ward, um, had very sadly uh, suddenly died. So there was a gap. There was a vacancy. And she said, I think you'd enjoy doing this. So I said, yes. What does it actually involve? So she said, well, we have council meetings four times a year and they <laughs> may sit on a you may sit on a committee and then there's obviously political group meetings which happen um, and so uh, she forgot to mention quite a lot of stuff that actually one ends up doing and the amount of reading that you actually mm. have to do so um, yeah so she sold me that I stood for election and I won um, and I've stood for election subsequently a number of times. I did come in, as I suggested, on a by-election. So my view was, if I don't like it or it doesn't work, I don't have to stand again. I can do 18 months and say, gosh, that was the experience. Um, but then you sort of get hooked. You get drawn yeah. in to yeah. what you can do and what you want to be able to do. So that's how I became a councillor. Well, and, and it's lovely to hear that uh, the um, people still recruit in the same way, and uh, <laughs> and I'm not the only one who fell for the story about four times a year. But the, uh, yeah. it, it is a, an amazing uh, experience, I found. For you, what was the first reaction? Had you a, an understanding about what the council did, or...? <laughs> As you got elected and turned up to the first meeting, was it sort of a quite a, a journey of um, a journey? It was um, a bit of both. I mean, I guess beforehand I had already been deeply involved in um, conflict with county council over gravel extraction, <laughs> and we took them to the ombudsman and won because uh, there were some um, illegal, unlawful um, permissions granted. So that was quite a big campaign. And there are still photographs of me standing outside Hertfordshire County Council waving banners. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was there. I was also chairman of the local Hot Civic Society. So again, I had got an understanding of 
certainly the planning and the development aspects mm. of, of a council. But um, I didn't come in on that uh, Poacher Town Gamekeeper platform. When you became the leader, you obviously by then knew what you were letting yourself in for because you'd been sitting in the group, you'd been on the executive from 2007. Um, yep. What was the thinking about putting yourself forward? Because you had no excuses. You knew what the role was all about. You knew what the challenges were. What was in your thoughts about why you were going to give up another chunk of your life to take on that ultimate responsibility of leading the council? Because I felt I could do it. <clears throat> because I thought it was very important that women, and we, I'd like to come on to that topic yeah. later if I may, yeah. Nick. Um, yeah. I think it was very important that there were aspects of what I wanted to do and achieve in the council. And given my background, I came out of merchant banking. I've been a medical journalist. So I'd done all the things that you're not supposed to do in terms of popularity with the general public. Um, and I just wanted to do the job of leader. I already had very extensive contacts, both um, locally, but also across the country. Um, and I wanted to make sure that what I was able to do, I could do very well. Uh, well, actually, let's, let's take the, 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 the women's role, because uh, certainly when I was a councillor, uh, there was a very small number of women in our particular group. In, um, uh, there were more in other groups in the council. What do you, have you seen change in the how many women are coming into it, or how do you see it from a woman's point of view of running the councils? Because they have a nasty habit of in the past being very male. Um, yes, I know when I became leader, um, my chief exec, uh, Liz Watts, was a lady, mm. um, the deputy was a lady, the chairman was a lady, a woman. And I can remember one of my councillors, male councillors, coming up to me and saying, there are far too women here at the top. <laughs> and you suddenly think, if this was all men, nobody would have made that comment. No. And I know that the press coverage we had concentrated on the fact that we were women. And I suppose it was great getting the coverage, but actually it was just insulting. Mm. And the other thing I think we're finding now is... There are lots, we, you know, obviously with elections, all out elections coming up in May, we have been doing um, approvals and selection and trying to encourage people to stand. And I am a conservative, so that's the area I'm involved with. Yeah. Um, but they're all men. I don't think we will have any new women coming forward in May. What's the barrier? And what's the barrier? Yeah. I think, I don't know if there's one specific barrier. I think it may be a mixture of, um, it is quite time consuming if you're mm. going to do it properly. Mm. Uh, if you're a young woman, you may have small children at home. And I certainly went on to the executive where my children were still quite small and it is a challenge. Yeah. Um, East Hearts, though, does have a provision within its um, allowances for you to pay for childcare for when you have to do council work. And I think actually it is still, I think some of the stuff that's been happening in the last 18 months to two years across the whole of the political spectrum is just toxic. Mm. And so 
why do you put yourself up for uh, criticism on social media, criticism to your face, criticism in desperately rude emails when you don't have to. Yeah. And that's not just a women's thing. I think it's across all councillors at the moment. It's, it's a lot across a lot of politics. Um, but I think it is, and a lot of the men tend to see East, a district council election as part of a stepping stone to something bigger and better, maybe an MP ship. Um, and often, you know, that's not the right reason for coming into local government. You should come into local government because you want to help residents and you want to do the best for them. Mm. And I think sometimes those, that, certainly over the last, you know, early years, those that we've had come in who have then gone on to become MPs, um, it is only seen as a, a, a line on a CV and a stepping stone. And I think that's enormously sad. I, I agree. And I have to say, uh, many years ago, when I even contemplated having a political career, um, people were trying to say, well, what about going and being an MP? And it's very nice. It's very interesting. Actually, I thought being a councillor was more uh, rewarding working with people in the community where you could actually see the improvement that you were creating. I, I, I've never really been convinced about going into Parliament and just being a voting fodder to go through the absolutely. lobbies. Um, <clears throat> yep. I've never quite got that. That's a slightly different story, but I, I absolutely agree with you, Nick. But it is a you worry, know, though. That's a, the, it the, is the, a worry. The fact that, that yeah. you know, you're struggling to attract women. Because there is a problem. You know, I, I, when I was a councillor, I was the third youngest in the group. <laughs> mm. uh, and I found that quite funny because uh, I was feeling a little bit old at the time uh, at work. <laughs> but uh, there is a real issue, isn't there, about recruitment into local government. And you're right. It has felt very toxic about politics in general in recent years. Uh, but the idea that we're not getting women feeling that they want to come and contribute and give up the time is just a disaster, let alone for the younger people that we're not getting in. Yeah, and um, it does worry me. And I've talked to some of my fellow colleagues about this, you know, because I certainly won't be here. But I think there needs they need to be very cognizant of, of experienced councillors who are re-elected and they should be re-elected, that we just have a very unbalanced gender um, uh, of, of councillors coming in. And, you know, all, all the evidence shows that we've got a balance of women and men in a room around a Everyone behaves differently and yeah. you get much better decision-making. Yeah. Um, and uh, also a lot of men who come into this are see themselves that they have to be you know, the testosterone-laden, aggressive people because that's how they expect themselves to behave. Well, often you do not get the results that you need when no. you come in with that attitude. Well, I agree. And, and you know, one of the things I love, uh, just recently I got told by our company secretary that we are 53% women in Kratos. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the board is uh, dominated by women. And uh, yeah. I don't disagree. I, you know, my colleagues are just so brilliant and you're totally right the quality of the engagement uh the leadership that uh is brought to an organization by having that balance 
Um, so, but you know, Linda, you for us, you know, all of us, I think a lot of my team know you, and I've been on the receiving end of how you feel <laughs> a couple of times, which always yeah, makes me you. laugh. No, no, no. But you know, you. you you are there for your community and look, we, we we completely respect you and we always have. Uh, but my God, we know when we're on the wrong end of the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the the argument with you. But you are an incredibly dedicated public servant. And it's sort of ironic, isn't it? With all the success that you've brought, we believe you've brought to the role, that that hasn't attracted. Do you think that people look at what you've had to put up with as leader uh, and go, wow, actually, I don't want that. And it's actually, you know, your success has actually, in a way, made people realise what it takes to be a, a woman who's at the top of an organisation like uh, local council. I think there may well perhaps be an element of that, but you're, you're being very flattering, Nick. Um, I think it's just that it's not on anyone's radar. You know, it's it's sometimes we get new people come into the council and they say, right, I want this, 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 and this. And you say, well, you know, you've got to go for consultation. Well, why can't we just do it by the end of the week? Um, I think a lot of people see local government um, as being slow, not taking decisions, but they have to, decisions do have to be made in a appropriate and timely way. And a lot of the processes and the consultation that are in place are there to protect you as a councillor, mm. but also the council itself and residents. And as we well know in East Hearts, we do have residents who are very happy to go to the law as soon as they think we've made a decision that is outside our constitution. Mm. Um, and we have to do quite a lot of work with new councillors as to we're not there to block stuff happening with the council. We are there to make sure that decisions are made in an appropriate way. Um, and if you want to take your residents with you, you do need to have, we have to have that level of consultation. Um, and, but then sometimes you do have to say, we have consulted, we have taken your views on, on board, but actually, we are not there just for the residents. We are there, uh, individual residents. We are there actually also for the residents of the whole of the district. And sometimes those decisions may not be comfortable for a small group of them. Yeah. Uh, and who may well be affected. And this uh, has been a bit of a real... Than others. Yeah. But this has been a real struggle. And, and one of the things I wanted to touch on was... Um, You've had a local plan since 2018. Correct. Um, you've got some really substantial uh, new growth in your communities um, yes. uh, with development. Um, a lot of councils, particularly uh, further south, have really struggled to bring their community with them and have found the... Um, the local plans have become the Achilles heel, have undermined them politically. Uh, you seem to, you know, we always talk about you making cakes uh, for the consultation, <laughs> but you've led from the front. Uh, I can't think of a circumstance where you've not made it very clear how you feel, which is not, I'm not even being, it's a relief to have someone 
politically be clear? What's the magic that you've brought to taking on really challenging growth issues? Is it that pragmatic side of making sure everything's consulted and then making it clear why you're making that decision? Is that the magic that you, you've brought to East Hearts? Thank you. I mean, if, if we go back to when we were putting the, the district plan together, if I may, Nick, just go back yeah. a little bit. Um, obviously, the district plan, which ultimately was found sound and went through in 2018, you know, the chief exec and I and, and heads of planning and fantastic officers, we worked very, very closely and extensively and with local communities. So... If you could see my office, I'm surrounded by maps because I think maps are the key sometimes to how you put a district plan together because you are looking at it as a district and not just within certain mm. areas. I think we, uh, Liz and I, who was then chief exec, we met every single parish council who was going to be affected by growth. Um, and some of those meetings weren't easy. Um, and certainly the early Gilston meetings where we're putting ultimately 10,000 houses which was in Greenbelt at the time, mm. we met with the residents at least once a month, every two weeks in a village hall in Gilston with a big banner over the top of it saying, stop Harlow North. And we had weeks and weeks of consultation with them, of talking to them. Uh, and that's where my cake stories come in, as you <laughs> kindly raised it, where... You know, I would make cakes. We'd have perhaps 50 people in the room. I brought in cakes and we'd all have cake because cake then became the topic of, oh, well, I like the one you made last time around. Can you make it again? <laughs> or can you make something that I can actually pack up to put in the car to take home? Oh, and it's so-and-so's birthday next week. Can you have a cake? So, and it became a different topic that yeah. people could rally around as opposed to just saying to the council we don't want this to happen yeah. i think once we had the district plan through um and obviously we had a big hiatus because one of our mps um went to the then secretary of state and asked for it to be put on hold um and we didn't we had a phone call on the day the afternoon that our district plan was due to go to council for ratification saying, well, you can't take it to council now because uh, the uh, Secretary of State has, has said it can't happen. Um, so that was a fairly tricky afternoon, but I'm very grateful to colleagues across Hertfordshire who rallied behind us to support us in getting it through. And we were also very clear with the MHCLG that if it was not released, uh, within two-week period, we would take them to um, do for judicial review. And we had they had no doubt that we were prepared to do this. And so on the afternoon where our papers were ready to send to our QC at the time, um, they said, right, it's off. And we then got it through council the following week. But it's it, things like that are so unnecessary Mm. in making sure you have a full district plan in place. Because I think what we were then able to say to residents and to councillors, we have a district plan. We know where growth will happen. So everybody, we need to work together and we have master planning sessions for all our strategic sites. 
um, this is where it will happen and we can give you some surety that this is how it will be for the coming five years. Um, obviously, some developers have decided to push the envelope slightly and um, but we have and there are some there was one appeal that we lost which uh, we shouldn't have lost because the district plan had put an allocation of a certain number of houses and they came back with double the number mm. um, but <clears throat> the inspectorate decided that was fine so but I think that's the thing is 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 you consult you do listen but ultimately you have to know in your own mind and with officers and with your counselors that it's the right thing to do mm. uh, and, and, and you that, are there to, you are elected to make the decisions for the whole of the community yes absolutely and, and it is that's coming back down to being a district councillor for the whole community mm. and not necessarily you can listen to some of your residents, but ultimately it's that difficult decision of saying, we've listened to you, but we know that ultimately this will this has to happen because if not, we will continue to have um, developers looking at uh, sites, for example, in Bruntingford, where there was nothing we could do to stop developers putting, basically doubling the size of the town because we didn't have a district plan in place. Yeah, yeah. And then very often people don't understand that the very thing that they're complaining against is actually designed to protect them. It's a matter of coming to an agreement about how that can be achieved in that plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in most of our master planning groups now, and certainly with Gilston, we yeah. continue to meet with residents once a month. They have pretty open access to to us and also to officers. Linda, um, sort of coming to the end of this podcast is. You've decided that uh, enough is enough. You will be stepping down. Uh, uh, and that's a change of an era. And there will be a lot of people in the council going, hmm, and not realising actually you've made it probably look a lot easier than it has been through your time as leader. Um, when you uh, walk away from this role, which you have, you know, I, I, yes, I am being nice to you, but it's about time people actually did recognise people for what they're doing. You've been awesome in the role that you've been taking. What are going to be the things that you're going to remember? What are you going to be the proudest of for achieving for your community as leader? Um, I think, obviously, I think I am proud of what we achieved with the district plan. Um, and whilst there are some great things coming through in the new planning act, the MPPX, etc., I think there's still stuff that needs to be looked at. Um, I'm extremely proud of some of the capital projects we've done. We redeveloped what was Castle Hall in Hartford, um, where we started that 12 years ago. That had a lot of opposition because it was a sort of, it had a theatre, but it also had a lot of other stuff that we didn't need. And residents kept saying, yes, but where will we hold the mayor's tea party? And you say, well, <laughs> somewhere else. Um, we don't have to have a, a, a theatre to do that in. And we are also redeveloping that now for a legacy project. So it will be absolutely stunning. I think it's also, um, I think the work that we did with county and certainly our officers here during COVID, mm. um, that all needs to be remembered and uh, is, is convincing. I think the work across in Hertfordshire that we've done with the Growth Board, 
the planning resilience group that's now ongoing is, is great. And also working on what is going to be difficult budget days. Mm. You know, I was here during the, the, the first um, uh, financial crisis, well, the, the, during this council, when we had to have an emergency budget and we had to do stop doing a lot of things that everyone expected us to do, like sweep the leaves. And you have to be very, you have to say, is this something that the council should be doing or is this something that we can work with the community to, to do? And I think that will be something which we really, well, the next administration will really have to look at very closely, working much more closely uh, with partners and not just letting people point the finger at you and say, well, what's the council going to do about it? <laughs> well, the question is, how are you going to help us do it? Yeah. Well, Linda, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for, on World Women's Day, pointing out the energy and the power that a woman can bring to one community and how much more work to encourage women into local government there is to be done. And I think you've highlighted both an amazing contribution and also a concern that is something that shouldn't be overlooked. So thank you for that and thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you indeed, Nick. Thank you. Thank you.